brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Forensic Psychology is a podcast that provides an illuminating window into the workings of the criminal mind. Now, here's your host, Dr. Carlos. In the 19th century, Kansas was a bloody place, especially before the Civil War, as free soilers and slavery advocates duped it out for control of the new territory. Once Kansas declared itself with the Union and the Civil War began to rage, the bloody battles continued. After the Civil War, pioneers began to head westward along the many trails through Kansas. Murder and mayhem persisted as hard men from the battlefields grown used to the violence continued their violent ways. I would even venture to say, as a forensic psychologist, that you probably saw a lot of psychopaths that took advantage of the situation. Yeah, there were probably psychopaths back then as well. A lot of individuals who suffered a lot of trauma, maybe neurological impairment, which means traumatic brain injuries, they could have led them to be more aggressive and impulsive. Very possible. Who knows? So why do I bring it up? Because today we're going to be looking at the Bloody Benders. They were the serial killers of Kansas. Most of us know of Dodge City's wicked ways, the deadly gunfight of the Daltons in Coffeyville, and the many outlaws and gunfighters who spent the time in the Sunflower State, but not too many people are aware of the mass murderers. Just after the Civil War ended, the U.S. government moved the Osage Indians, or Osage Indians, from Labette County in southeast Kansas to the New Indian Territory, which would later become the state of Oklahoma. The vacated land was then made available to homesteaders, who for the most part were a group of pioneers farming the area's softly rolling hills. In 1870, five families of spiritualists settled in western Labette County, about seven miles northeast of there where Chevyville would be planted a year later. One of these families was the Benders, comprised of John Bender, the senior, his wife, Almira, son, John Jr., and daughter, Kate. They were a cult-like group. The families chose from several available claims and began to make their homes John Bender Sr. chose a 160-acre section on the western slopes of the mounds that continue today to bear their name. The property was located directly on the Osagi Mission Independence Trail that operated from Independence to Fort Scott. His son chose a narrow piece of land just north of his father. However, he never lived on his claimed land. The family soon built a one-room framed cabin, a barn, corral, and a dug, dug a well. Inside the wooden cabin, the area was partitioned with a large canvas, creating living quarters in the back and a small inn and store in the front. A crude sign was hung above the front door that advertised groceries to the many travelers along the trail. The little store carried a few supplies, powder, groceries, liquor, and tobacco, sold meals, and provided a safe overnight resting place to the strangers along the road. Keeping mostly to themselves, the Benders appeared to be struggling homesteaders who worked hard to earn the living. 
John Sr. was 60 years old when he arrived in the area, his wife about 55. He stood over six foot tall. John was a giant of a man because, his, remember back then, the, the average height was probably about 5'8 for males. Because of his piercing black eyes set deeply under huge bushy brows, earned him the nickname of the old beetle-browed John. His ruddy face, mostly covered by a heavy beard, sullen expression, and long hair often led him to being described as a wild and woolly-looking man. Both John and his wife spoke with such accents that few people could understand them. Mrs. Bender was a heavier-set woman who was so unfriendly and had sinister eyes that her neighbor began to call her the She-Devil. To add to her fierce look, Mrs. Bender also claimed to be a medium who could speak with the dead. John Bender, again, we talked about a tall man. Daughter, uh, John Bender Jr. was tall also and about 25. who was handsome with auburn hair and mustache. Daughter Kate was the friendliest of the bunch, speaking good English with just a slight accent and been cultivated and bore cultivated social skills. Kate was also a self-proclaimed healer and psychic herself. When the Benders opened their store at Inn in 1871, many travelers would stop for a meal or supplies. However, some of those men who frequently carried large sums of cash with the intention of settling, buying stock, or purchasing game began to go missing. When friends and family began to look for them, they could trace them as far as the Big Hill country of southeast Kansas before they could find no trace of the lost person. These first few missing travelers did not raise an overall alarm in the area, as it was not uncommon during those days for men to simply continue their journey westward. However, as more time passed, the disappearances became more frequent, and by the spring of 1873, the region had become strife with rumors, and travelers began to avoid the trail. When neighboring communities started to make slanderous insinuations, the Osag Township called a meeting held at the Harmony Grove Schoolhouse. About 75 people attended, including both Bender men. The discussion began regarding the 10 people who reported missing, including a well-known independent physician named Dr. York. With the full realization there was truly a major problem in the town, the group decided to search every farmstead, Big Hill Creek and Drum Creek, one between Big Hill Creek and Drum Creek. When most of the attendees volunteered to have their premises searched, the Benders remained silent. Sometime later, Billy Toll, a neighbor of the Benders, noticed that the Bender Inn was abandoned and that their farm animals unfed. Toll reported the news to Leroy Dick, the township trustee, and a search party was soon formed, which included Dr. York's brother. When the men arrived at the property, they found the cabin empty of food and clothing and personal possessions. They were also met by a terrible smell inside the abandoned inn. A trap door, nailed shut, was discovered in the floor of the cabin. Prying it open, the men found a six-foot deep hole that was filled with clotted blood, causing the terrible odor. But there were no bodies in the hole. Finally, the men physically moved the entire cabin to the side and began to search beneath. But still, no bodies were found. Continuing, they began to dig around the cabin, especially in an area that Benders had utilized as a vegetable garden in Orchard. Orchid, I'm sorry. At the site of a freshly stirred depression in the earth, they found the first body, buried head downward with its feet scarcely covered. The corpse was of Dr. York. His skull was bludgeoned and his throat cut from ear to ear. The digging continued the next day, and nine other bodies appeared, including a woman and a little girl. The burial site was christened Hell's Half Acre, and another brother of Dr. York, a lawyer and a state senator residing in Independence, offered a $1,000 reward for the information leading to the Bender family's arrest. On May 17th, Governor Osborne added to that amount by offering another $2,000. Word of the gruesome murder spread fast, and thousands of people flocked to the site, including news reports from as far away as New York and Chicago. 
The Bender cabin was ripped apart by gruesome souvenir hunters right down to the bloody bricks that lined the cellar. The Benders were obviously not what they, what they appeared. In fact, they weren't even a true family. The only ones related were the mother and the daughter. When the visitors stepped in for a meal, they were seated at a table with their back to the large canvas that separated the inn from the living quarters. Then Kate would bring in to charm the men with her social skills and flirting. As the men gave their full attention to the alluring Kate, Pa and John Bender, John Bender Sr. and Jr., hiding behind the canvas, would strike the unsuspecting traveler in the skull with a hammer. The mother and Kate would then rifle the body for money, pushing him through the trap door into the hole below the cabin, where Kate would slit his throat. During the night, the body would then be buried in the garden behind the house. And that's a very unusual one. The whole situation is unusual. You have very unlikely to ever see serial killers work as pairs, and even less likely as a family. We've seen some married couples. That has happened. But a family, very unusual. And then for the daughter, a female, to commit the violent act, which is more unusual, most female serial killers tend to usually poison um, the individual or be negligent and cause accidents, but never really physically kill which is very unusual. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen, just unusual. Well, during the, the night, the body would then be buried in the garden behind the house. The downfall was the murder of a father and step and daughter named Lochner and that of Dr. York, who had come looking for the missing pair. In the winter of 1872, Mr. Locker and his daughter had left Independence for Iowa, but never heard from again. And then in the spring of 1873, Dr. York took it upon himself to go looking for the Lonkers, stopping at the homesteads along the trail to ask questions. Though he reached Fort Scott unscathed and started to return Independence by March 8th, he never reached home. Dr. York had two brothers. Both knew of his travel plans, and when he failed to return home, an all-out search began for him. Colonel A.M. York, leading a contingency of 50 men, began to question every traveler along the trail. One of those places was the Bender Inn. The Benders tried to help by admitting that Dr. York had stopped at their place, but convinced the search party that he had left and was probably waylaid by Indians. Even Kate, with her clairvoyant abilities, attempted a search for the missing doctor to throw any suspicion off herself. After Colonel York's visit and the meeting at the Harmony Grove Schoolhouse, the Bender family decided to get out of Dodge. Just a saying, get out of town, really. It was only a few days later that the homestead was found abandoned and the search party began to discover the grisly remains. The diggers were astounded to find what could be known as one of America's first mass murder burial grounds with body after body was uncovered. Hmm. More gruesomely, though, the little girl's body was found to have multiple injuries. None of them would have caused death and it was speculated that the poor lass may have been buried alive. Other bodies found in the garden were those of Henry McKenzie's mutilated remains. Three men by the name of Brown, McCrotty, and Geary, as well as unidentified male and female. Johnny Boyle's body was found in the well. Dismembered parts of several other victims were also discovered, but could never be identified. For all these deaths, the Benders gained only about 4600 bucks. Two teams of horses, a pony, and a saddle, because some of the travelers were carrying nothing of value. It was widely speculated that the Benders killed simply for the bloody thrill of it. Which is very possible, at least the way the sound of it, because once they hit him with the hammer... That could have killed him a lot of them. And all he had to do was probably hit him one more time, and they would have finished him. To slit their throat and to do mutilations and dismemberments, there was a lot of rage there. Something was going on with these benders about this particular area, and there could have been, obviously they were, sadists. As word of the grizzly murder spread, more and more travelers came forward to tell their own stories. One that was really Pickering said that Kate Bender threatened him with a knife, at which point he fled the premises. Upon investigation, 
Well, actually, after following a fresh trail of wagon tracks, a search party found that the benders had gone to the town of nearby Thayer, about 12 miles north. There, they purchased six tickets on the northbound Leavenworth train to Humboldt. Several days later, the benders' team and wagon were found a short distance away. The horses nearly starved. Captain Ransom, the train's conductor, said that John Jr. and Kate disembarked at Chanute and took the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas Railroad trains out to the Red River County, Red River Country near Denison, Texas. Allegedly, the pair then fled to a tough outlaw colony along the border of Texas and New Mexico. Meanwhile, Mr. and Mrs. Benner, the parents, continued on the train north to Kansas City, where it was believed they transferred to a train headed to St. Louis. They were really on the run. Attempts to capture the bloodthirsty family were immediately made by both law enforcement and vigilantes alike, though no one ever collected on the rewards offered. Rumors began to fly of several parties who had captured and killed the benders. One vigilante group claimed to have shot down the men and Ma Bender and burned Kate alive. Another group claimed they had caught the benders while escaping to the south. However, none of them were confirmed, nor bodies found, so most thought that the benders had managed to escape. For years, sighting of Ma Bender and Kate were reported, and in 1889, two women were actually extradited from Michigan on the charge. The pair were actually jailed. The case was eventually dropped for lack of evidence. Now, you got to remember, this is, what, that's uh, 1889. They were on the run right around 1873, so 15 years later. It's a little harder back then because you didn't have pictures or newspapers like you would today, or you could always see their pictures. We'd be constantly emblazoned in people's memories. Here you couldn't, really, so it'd be harder to recognize them after a while if anybody even got a hold of any of that information. Of the family, the dad was actually found to have been named John Flickinger from either Germany or Holland. He allegedly committed suicide in 1884 in Lake Michigan. Others believed that uh, Mrs. Bender and Kate murdered him because he had fled Cherryville with all the cash and valuables. Ma Bender was actually born Elmira Mike in the Adronachs and married as a teenager to a man named George Griffith after bearing him a dozen children, including Kate. Griffith suddenly died, some sort of a bad place on his head, resembling a dent that might be made with a hammer. Afterwards, she reportedly remarried several times, killing those husbands as two, so a black widow. John Jr. was actually found to have been a man named John Gebhardt. His habit of laughing aimlessly was that to let him to be described as a half-wit. Afterward, though, believed that he was simply a ruse to disguise his clever nature. Though most were, how would you say, led to believe John and Kate were sister and brother, others said that they sometimes passed as man and wife. The two were known to have had a relationship, and further tales abounded that when Kate became pregnant, they would simply bash in the baby's head. Kate was actually the fifth child of Ma Bender and was born as Eliza Griffith. At some point, she married and went by the name of Sarah Eliza Davis. Allegedly, while working at the Bender Inn, she also earned her keep as a prostitute. Though the tales of whatever happened to the Brenders can only be speculated as to their accuracy, the fact that the ten bodies were found on the property is not disputed, though. Other corpses found in the area, as well as the many mysterious disappearances of other lonely travelers, led the locals to believe that Benders probably killed more than 20 people. If the terrible story of the Bender murders was not in and of itself legend enough, another tale began to circulate regarding the property upon which the Benders had once lived. The old Bender property was haunted, they say. It began to fly rumors around the local towns. A decade after the gruesome killings, nothing was left out of the cabin. The only thing remaining, an empty hole that had once been the cellar. As the legend of the haunting continued, people began to say that Kate Bender herself had returned to the property, doomed to roam the very land where she had committed so many atrocities which is actually a very common story for ghosts. 
But there's a museum now, believe it or not. The Bender Museum was created at Sherry Vale in 1961 in honor of the Kansas statewide centennial celebration. An exact replica of the Bender cabin was built that housed antiques and household items. In its first three days of opening, it attracted more than 2,000 people. In 1967, three of the Bender hammers were actually gifted to the museum by the Dick family. The museum remained a populous tourist destination until it closed 10 years later when a fire station was built upon the site. Many wanted to relocate it, with locals objecting to the town being known for the Bender atrocities, though. In the end, the artifacts, including the hammers, photos, and newspaper clippings, were placed in the Cherryvale Museum and can still be seen there today. So, who knows whatever happened to the Benders? They were pretty crafty. Boy, did they move fast. My guess is they probably separated, too, just by the sound of it all. They were serial killers, and a very rare bunch indeed, but they weren't a family. So we can eliminate the family of serial killers. They were a group that worked together in some capacity. What bonded them? That we don't really know, except for the mom and daughter. Maybe they had relations with the other two. Maybe it was a sadist, sadistic group. They just found similar interests. And that's what happened. Who knows? That's our story for the Bloody Benders. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.